Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Mother's Day. You guys doing good? Are you awake? Did you stay up late? The first service, man, I'm telling you, they were snoozers this morning. I'm glad you guys are with us. Why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles, if you have them, to Romans chapter 8, New Testament, Romans 8. And so uh, we're, we are in this series called Free Indeed. Jesus once said to a large group of people, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What did he mean by that exactly? You know, what, what was Jesus promising to set people free from? And so that's what we're talking about. And we've said there's a number of ways to answer that question. For example, we've talked about being free from guilt. Uh, last week we talked about being free from prejudice. If you missed that, you can go online and listen. But this morning I want to suggest that another aspect of the freedom Jesus spoke of has to do with uh, being free of fear. Specifically, the fear of rejection. What do I mean? Well, I want to read something for you. The Apostle Paul wrote, to a, uh, wrote in a letter to Christians living in the city of Rome. And, uh, and then we can talk a little bit about it. Keep in mind as we're reading this that um, uh, at the opening of this chapter of his letter, chapter 8, uh, Paul says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Literally, the text says, there is now no judgment coming down. That's what the word condemnation means. No judgment coming down for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then Paul writes about how at the point of faith, the Spirit of God infuses life into those who are formerly dead, and then how he talks about how God's Spirit lives within each of us. And then he says this in chapter 8, verse 14. He says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And we'll just stop there. Now, what Paul writes here um, in this text about being children of God by way of adoption uh, resonates with me in a, in a very personal way because when I was six months old, <clears throat> my biological father left our family and never returned. And... Um, Although I wasn't technically orphaned, because I still had mom, uh, I did experience a significant degree of the pain associated with being fatherless, you know what I mean? And throughout my life, I've had to deal with uh, the fallout, fallout of that, you know, feelings of uh, abandonment, fear of rejection, those kind of things, everything associated with not having him in, in a relationship with him in my life. That said, five years after that, my mom uh, met and remarried a man who was willing to basically adopt my brother and I. And although at the time they didn't have the money to go through the official process of name change and all those things, uh, he, he raised us as, our, as his own and gave us everything we needed. Uh, and I'm really grateful for that. He's, he's, still, he's still alive. He's 92 years old, doing great. So I really appreciate uh, him in my life. And, and so given my experience, I think I can affirm what many of us no doubt realize, that that adoption in the life of a child is a, is a powerful and wonderful thing. But there's something else that uh, I've realized along the way over the years, and that is adoption is not just a societal issue, but on a much grander scale, uh, it's a spiritual issue as well. And this whole idea that um, by faith in Jesus and through the work of God's Spirit, we are adopted into God's family implies what? Well, it implies that prior to that happening, spiritually speaking, we're all orphans. 
orphans struggling to make it in this harsh and broken world with no relationship to a heavenly father. And at some point along the way, we, um, we begin to sense this spiritual relational deficit. And we start asking questions like, who is God? Where is he? Why has he left me alone? Does he even care about me? But in asking those questions, it's important we, uh, we understand that our separation from God is not because he abandoned us, but because we uh, have willfully abandoned him. And the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah says, like sheep, we've all gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. King David asserted the same thing. He said, all of us have turned away from God. In fact, earlier in this letter uh, to the Romans, Paul quotes David from Psalm 14. He says, all have turned away. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then Paul summarizes it this way. He says, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Translation, we all fail to live up uh, to God's holy standard of perfection. You know, we rebel against what he says is is, is right and good and healthy and safe and best for us as human beings. We do our own thing our own way to our own detriment. And as a result, we're left, we're left separated from the one who created us. And so our world in so many respects is like this, this, this great big spiritual orphanage in which we're all hustling around, trying our best to find the love and acceptance of an estranged heavenly father. We sense that he's there, and we sense there's more to our experience than just living and working and dying. We, we, we long to find more meaning to our lives, and so we all come to this point when just as many orphaned children, after turning 18, set off on a quest to find their parents. As human beings, we set off on a spiritual quest to find God. We want to know him. We want to be reconnected to him. Well, here's the deal. Take it from me, one orphan to another. Your search is over. Because the good news of Jesus is that God has come searching for you. He's come searching for you. Why? Because as David put it in the Old Testament, God is a father to the fatherless. A father to the fatherless, that's why. And because of his great love for us, he, he offers to adopt us, offers to adopt you and me into his family. And uh, <clears throat> here in this letter to the church in Rome, Paul addresses uh, some key issues surrounding this spiritual adoption. Uh, first of all, he affirms the reality of it. Uh, the Greek term that Paul uses here is an interesting one. It's a combination of two Greek terms, the term for son, and then a term that, that meant to put or to place something. So literally, the word means to place as a son. In Roman law and culture of the first century, um, an affluent but childless adult who wanted an heir would often place as a son, i.e. adopt, a post-pubescent male slave. And that slave would, would then come into what was known as the patria potestas, or the power of the father. All the debts of that slave were, uh, were canceled. And that slave started a brand new life, life as a son, an official legal member of the family, an heir. And, you know, based on his use of terminology here, slaves, adopt, sons, father, heirs, we, we, know this is the, we know this is the cultural backdrop upon which Paul bases his metaphor. And his audience would have completely, completely understood it. He told them, look, spirit, God's spirit doesn't make you slaves. 
so that you're, you live in fear. No, but he brings about your adoption, removing your fear of him. Here's my Reiki translation. God graciously adopts slaves, canceling their debts, and making them official sons and heirs. I mean, that is essentially the heart of the gospel, right? The heart of the good news. Elsewhere, Paul summarizes it this way to the Galatian church. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And in this particular statement, Paul happens to speak to the cost of adoption. I was reading some recent statistics, and, uh, and I learned that domestic and international adoptions today carry similar total costs, typically ranging somewhere between twenty-five dollars to $50,000. And I read that, and I thought to myself, man, that is a, that's a high price to pay. But as I was reading Paul's letters, I was thinking about what he was saying to the church, I realized that God paid an even higher price to adopt me and you. Similar to what he wrote to the Galatians earlier here in chapter 8 of Romans, Paul says, God paid the highest price imaginable. He did so by sending his own son and the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. You know, I have one son. His name is Corey. And uh, when I look at him, uh, I think to myself, man, there's no way. There is no way I would offer my only son as payment to adopt another child, no matter how even if that child was perfect, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. And yet that's exactly what God did for us. In fact, God sacrificed Jesus, the most perfect of sons, in order to adopt totally imperfect people like me and like you. That's the price God paid for us to belong to his family. And all we're asking in return is to believe, to believe in Jesus, the one who was offered in the words of the Apostle John, he makes this promise. He says, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, God gives the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, but born of God. And again, this is the heart. This is the heart of the good news. That God wants me. And he wants you in his family. I mean, have you been spiritually adopted? Some of you might say, well, I don't know. I don't really know, man. I'm not sure. Can I be sure? Is there a way to tell? And I would say, yeah, there's, there's proof of adoption. Uh, you know, in our society, legal adoption can be a pretty drawn-out process. Uh, it can be years before the adoption of a child is completed and formalized. Uh, but if you follow the proper legal, legal procedures, at the end of the process, the court issues adoption papers, you know, which include the uh, birth certificate of the child and a formal uh, decree of adoption. And the possession of those papers uh, proves the adoption was finalized, it was legal, and it was binding. But in the process of spiritual adoption, there, you know, there are no papers. There are no papers. Instead, there's a person. Every child of God receives the Spirit of God himself, whose indwelling presence confirms that our adoption has taken place. I mean, that's what Paul's getting at when he writes here. He says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Or in another letter, he states it this way, he says, you were included in Christ when you, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation. Having believed, you were then marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, Paul's stated order of things in this particular statement is important to note because um, essentially he's saying to us, look, spiritual experience does not define truth, but truth 
leads to spiritual experience. What do I mean? In other words, being a Christian uh, isn't just this rational, objective deal. It's not just about knowing that something is is true. It's also subjective in nature. It's, It's about experiencing something that's true. I realize, you know, and I realize when we start talking about spiritual experience, some of us get nervous because there, there are those who, who, who name themselves as Christians and they do some pretty wild and crazy stuff. Um, but that's not the kind of experience Paul's talking about here. He explains the experiential side of things. He says, listen, when you accept the objective truth of Jesus, when you, when you believe in him, something real happens. Something real happens to you. You receive God's spirit. And the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. No. But the spirit you receive brings about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children, are God's children, Paul says. The Greek term that he uses here for cry carries this idea of, of, of intense feeling, emotion, passion. Basically, the idea is that the Spirit becomes an active participant in our daily lives. And he brings about this this inner transformation, this growing passion and love for God, this deep longing to to know God more, to obey him, to serve him, to love him. And the Spirit assures us we can call God Father. And not only Father, but Paul says you can call him Abba, which is an Aramaic term. It was a title a little child would give or use for his or her dad. And I think dad, our English word dad, is probably the best word we have to reflect the, the intimacy of that term. And the fact that the Spirit lets us know that God is our father, our dad, you know, tells us we truly are his children, you know, part of his family. And because of that reality, the Spirit removes any of the fear we have, he, he removes the fear of God's rejection. It's not going to happen. Which, by the way, is something uh, only Christianity offers to people. Because in all other religions, you can never be sure of your relationship to God in whatever form you believe God exists. You can never be sure because you never know if you've been a good enough person. You know, if you've been generous enough with your stuff or if you've performed well enough all the rites and, and rituals and kept all the regulations associated with your religion. You, so you can never really know if you've earned your acceptance or not. You're never really sure. And that's why Christianity is so unique. Because there is no earning. There's only grace. Only grace. Your adoption is not achieved by way of your efforts It's achieved by God's divine choice and his grace in our lives. Paul says the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives is is proof of the adoption into his family. The Spirit assures us that we are God's children. He's giving us confidence in our spirituality, guaranteeing our inheritance in Christ and with Christ eternal life. How confident are you in your relationship with God? I mean, realistically, how, how confident are you? Do you sense the presence of his spirit in your life transforming you? Giving you a deeper longing for God? To love him, to serve him, to know him? Uh, if not, then, then, it, then it's entirely possible that you've never really put your faith in Christ. Because 
believing the objective truth of Jesus, believing in him always precedes subjective spiritual experience. Belief comes first. In fact, Paul offers this warning to, to those in Rome. He says in, in his letter, he says, if, uh, if anyone does not have the spirit in him, he does not belong to Christ. The proof of adoption, the proof of our adoption is not found in papers, but in the presence of God's spirit at work in the life of his children, transforming us, changing us. What about the extent of adoption? You know, this year uh, in the United States, millions of Americans are pursuing the adoption of a child, the majority of whom are, uh, are looking for healthy infants. But on average, there aren't that many infants available. See, for many people, there, um, there's a limit to, to, to who they're willing to love and adopt. There's a limit. There are prerequisites, prerequisites of age, race, health, but God's offer of adoption has no prerequisites. It has no limitations. His love is indiscriminate. His acceptance is available to everyone and anyone. His offer to adopt extends to people of every age, every race, every culture, every socioeconomic level. God doesn't look, God doesn't look at you. He doesn't look at your health, your ethnicity, your your appearance, your, your career success, your education, your popularity, your economic status, your money or lack thereof. He doesn't look at those things. John says to all who believe, to all who believe, he gives the right to become his children. Do you believe? Before you answer the question, let's, I want to make sure you know there are benefits to this belief. There are benefits to adoption. And I've already alluded to a couple of them, but let me, let me give you a quick list of these benefits. And keep in mind, faith in Jesus brings us, it brings us not just into the king, uh, God's kingdom as citizens. It doesn't just bring us into heaven as recipients of, of grace. But personal faith in Jesus also brings us into the very family of God, making us sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. And therefore, adoption means, it means intimacy. It means having a relationship with God. God is no longer just the creator of the universe out there somewhere. He is our Father in heaven. A Father whose love never falters, never fails. And with that being true, then, then think of some of the other things that adoption means. It means, it means access. Um, imagine that your father was the President of the United States. How does that work for kids? <laughs> you know, um, anyone without an appointment or clearance doesn't get to see the president, right? And if you try to get to him, uh, you get stopped at the very least. But as, a, as his child, you would get access to him anytime, anywhere, no interference, because he's your father. The same is true on a, on a much bigger scale with God. He too is your father. And so there's, this, there's an intimacy, there's a relationship. You have open access to him anytime, anywhere, any place. Adoption also means inheritance. Um, Paul says we're adopted to sonship, right? I realize some, some people might read Paul's comment there and, and view his, his use of the term sonship as being a, little, uh, being a little exclusive, perhaps even a bit sexist. And I, I get why you might think that, uh, at least initially, but the reality is this. Paul was, was being the opposite of sexist. In first century culture, only sons could be heirs, 
Only sons could inherit the riches of the Father. And so in the New Testament, when Paul repeatedly, again and again, writes to Christians saying, you are all adopted, all of you are adopted as sons, essentially he's saying all of you, men and women alike, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are co-heirs in God's kingdom, in God's family. Make no mistake about it, Paul was being amazingly inclusive with this language. Uh, in his letter to the Galatian church, he says, in the church there's neither Jew nor Gentile. Neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, all heirs according to the promise. So adoption means inheritance. It also means security. I mean, think of it this way. If you're an employee of a company, how often, or how, yeah, how often do you, uh, does your employer allow you to mess up on the job before they fire you? I don't know the answer to that question because every employer is different. But if you're a parent... How often do you allow your child to mess up before you fire them? You don't fire kids. You don't fire your children, right? You don't do that. You, you don't fire them even when they mess up. You still love them because they're your children. The same is true of God. As sons and daughters, we are secure, eternally secure in the Father's love. Although that being said, you know, because, because of our adoption, because because God, uh, we are his children, because he loves us so much, it also means there may be instances when God disciplines us. Times when, as a loving father, he doesn't necessarily divert pain away from us, but allows a certain degree of suffering to enter our experience in order to teach us, in order to mature us, to strengthen us. I mean, that's just, that's just good, loving, and wise parenting. And then the final benefit of adoption, well, ultimately comes down to family. Family. In Christ, you're no longer alone. You're no longer alone. No matter who you are, what you look like, where you're from, what you've done, you, you are graciously adopted and welcomed into this one big, eternal, diverse, and beautiful family. Also called the church. Which means what? It means the church is not something you go to. It's something you belong to. And that belonging comes from who you are, not what you do or don't do. In his book, Knowing Christ, theologian, biophysicist, and former atheist, Alistair McGrath, writes about this whole idea of spiritual adoption. He says this. He says, adoption is, is, is all about being wanted. It's about being wanted. It's about belonging. These are deeply emotive themes which resonate with the cares and concerns of many in our increasingly fractured society. To be adopted, he said, is to be invited into a loving and caring environment. It's about, it's about being welcomed. It's about being wanted. Adoption celebrates the privilege of invitation in which the outsider is welcomed into the fold of faith, into the family, and love. And uh, I, think that's a, I think that's a pretty good definition. So I, I, mentioned, um, I mentioned earlier that my biological father left our family when I was six months, six months old. That's true. Well, back when I was 33, so two years ago now. Um, <laughs> okay, it was a little bit longer than that. But when I was 33, I was back in New Jersey, and I was, uh, I was coaching uh, varsity boys basketball at a large high school in North Jersey. And um, we were, this one time we were playing, we were playing in a tournament. And so we were playing at this high school. It was, about a, uh, it was about an hour and a half away from our school. 
So we're at this, we're at this tournament. We're playing the premier game. So we're, ours is the last game of the night. We got our players. We're up in the stands. We're watching the game that's going on right before us. It gets to the end of the third quarter, and we send our players in to start getting ready for uh, our game. And uh, I was a little tired of sitting there, and I didn't want to go in the locker room right yet. So I just, I just started to stroll around this, this field house. And I went out into this hallway where, um, you know how high schools, they have these big glass display cases where they put all the trophies that the high school wins in different sports, they display them? Well, they had a pretty big one. It was pretty impressive. So I'm standing in this hallway, and I'm looking at all, all of these different trophies, and uh, all of a sudden I hear a student yell out, Mr. Kolbacher. And I thought, well, that's just weird. My players don't call me that. My players call me Coach K. So what, what's going on? So I hear it again, Mr. Kolbacher, and so I turned to see who was talking to me, and there was a student down the hall, and they weren't talking to me, they were talking to the janitor, who was just a few feet away sweeping the floor. But come to find out, that janitor was my father. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> inevitably people will say, well, what did you say to him? And I didn't, honestly, I didn't say anything. Um, I was not, I wasn't angry, I wasn't bitter, I, I was just kind of numb, and I wasn't even sure, could, is this, could this possibly be? I don't know. And so I just went back in the locker room. I mean, it, it, it was my dad, and it was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a weird experience, to say the least. I mean, there I was, just a few feet from him, and uh, he didn't know who I was, and even more tragically, didn't care. Now, I tell you that story because, look, we all have earthly fathers, and none of them are perfect, and some are less perfect than others, obviously. But what I want you to understand this morning is that God is the one perfect father. Perfect. His is not an attitude of, of apathy or abandonment, but rather an attitude of affection and concern. And here's the thing, you don't have to go searching for him because he's come searching for you. And through Jesus, he offers each of us, as spiritual orphans, the gift of adoption. God longs for us to be sons and daughters, free of fear, free of fear of rejection, free to love him, free to experience and enjoy all the benefits of being his children. God wants to be our heavenly father. And his gracious offer of adoption has been made to all of us. All you have to do is say yes. And I hope you will. I hope you have. Let's pray. Father, we live in a broken world. Um, we recognize it every single day. And uh, in our own and our own brokenness, as the scripture tells us, we have turned away from you willfully, often ignoring what you have to say to us, ignoring what you say is right and good and healthy and best for us as, as human beings. We, we ignore you. Uh, we rebel against you. And there's this, not only are we broken, but there's this, bro this break between between us and um, 
And we come to that place in life where as these spiritual orphans just running around the world looking for purpose and looking for meaning, looking for God, we start asking the questions of where you are. Why have you left, left us alone? When the reality is you haven't. You have come searching for us. And in Jesus, the perfect son, the penalty for our sin and rebellion has been, has been paid um, our debts are canceled and we're put in the place of sons and daughters. We're adopted into your family. And Lord, I pray that each and every one of us in this room would have confidence in that. If we haven't yet placed our faith in Jesus, if we haven't yet believed that we would do that this morning because belief always precedes experience. But after that belief, I pray that we would experience a fullness of your spirit in our lives and that he would give us the confidence uh, of knowing that you are a father whose love will never falter or fail, never leave us alone. It is eternal. And you would remove any fear that we have. And we would be free to love you as our father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we? So I want to thank you for being with us uh, this morning. Um, this is a big one for me in, in, in terms of Jesus talking about freedom, freedom from fear, fear of rejection, um, fear of God himself, you know. Christianity alone offers to remove that fear because it's not based on anything you do. So, you know, with religion, when you fail, there's guilt, there's condemnation, there's all these things, and, and you just weigh down and it just crushes the life out of you. But Christianity is not about your works. It's not about your efforts. Not, you don't earn your adoption to the family of God. It's offered to you. It's all about grace. It's all about grace. And man, I hope you get that. Because when you do, when you believe it, and the Spirit of God comes into your life, He begins to change you and transform you from the inside out. And then you know that you're a child of God. And you can call Him Father. And His love for you will never change. It'll never falter, never fail. And that's what it means to be a Christian, be a follower of Jesus, part of the family. So um, I, I hope you understand that. Maybe, maybe you have some questions about it. Certainly you can come down speak to some of our prayer team folks who will be down in the front following service. Or maybe there's just some other things that, are, you know, that you have in your heart you want to talk to somebody about. This morning they're there for you as well. Okay? I uh, hope you can come back next week. We're going to continue with this series. We're going to take a look at uh, another aspect of this, this um, freedom that Jesus spoke of and... Uh, I think you'll find it helpful, all right? In the meantime, have a great day with friends and family. Make sure you get outside. You look like you need some vitamin D, just saying. Uh, but I hope you have a great, a great day together. Let me pray for us, and then we're dismissed. We are your children, Lord. We proclaim that this morning. We believe it. We can call you Father freely. No fear. No fear. I ask now that as, as your people, as your family, as brothers and sisters, as, we, as the church, as we leave this place and go out into our world, may that sense of freedom bring such joy in our lives that we live in a way that people say, what is up with you? And our lives um, demonstrate this kind of love and grace and sense of freedom that perplexes them and grants us the opportunity to tell them about Jesus so that they too may know you as their Father. Help us do that, I ask. And now, Lord, may your hand of grace and peace and strength rest on your people. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.